This one begins with cashew nuts, e-bikes and shopping trolleys. And we soon find ourselves talking about ethics and the granular decisions we make day in, day out. We reflect on the gap we notice and the dissonance we feel when who we want to be and the us that shows up sometimes feel too far apart. We celebrate how we can lean in and take note of our internal correcting mechanism that we have, which may feel like an ache inviting us to bring our better and best selves to every situation. And we chat about finding a meaning-making story, a reference point that guides us, our decisions and our behaviours, and helps us become the kind of person we're truly seeking to be. The nature and identity of that story is truly fascinating, far-reaching and well worth thinking through. Enjoy the ride of this one. Hello, Steve. Hello, Jill. Again. Again, which is fantastic. I know. I've been looking forward to this. I wonder what... I wonder what number this is. Uh, who knows? Who yeah, knows? But I've been looking forward to it because it's. I love just sitting here chatting. It's wonderful. <laughs> best thing of the day. It best thing of the day. By far the best thing of the day. Yeah. It's all those meetings, you know, if you see what I mean, with rigid agendas and you got to, this is just chilled. Last, I think it was last time, or this two times ago, uh, I bought you coffee because you you had had a busy day, but you've literally just stuffed your face with cashew nuts. I had some nuts before yeah. starting. I know. Well, because I didn't get any breakfast. I know this is bad. You see, nobody's going to react. I didn't have a chance to have any breakfast this morning because of a load of meetings and, and all that teams meetings. They're even worse, aren't they? You know? Sure. Are. And um, and then it got to lunchtime, and I had a load of emails to do. You know, to go. But I did have some cashew nuts, which are very good for you and very healthy. So I've just that's all you some. need. That's all you need for today. Well, I had some cashew nuts and some almond nuts. I listened to Michael Mosley. Have you heard of Michael Mosley? Do just one, well, oh, just one thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. health yeah. expert. He said nuts are good for you. Nuts are good for you. So, so that's I've, the one thing you've done. Today. I've, had, I've had some nuts. Michael will be pleased. Well done, Michael. So, what are we going to talk about today, then, Steve? Well, you said we were going to talk about virtue ethics. Which is very fancy. Yeah, very fancy. So what got you into this? Well, lime bikes and shopping trolleys. <laughs> I know that. Lime bikes? Yeah, lime bikes. So for anyone that doesn't know, in London we have these things called lime bikes, which are mm. e-bikes. There's all sorts of varieties of e-bikes well, in London. Like, yeah, yeah, there's, there's bikes everywhere, isn't yeah. there? They're Boris bikes and yeah. all sorts of things. But lime bikes... Particularly lime bikes, there's just something I've noticed about lime bikes and perhaps lime bike users and also shopping trolleys. So here, here's the thing, and this to me has got everything to do with ethics because when you hear the word ethics, you immediately think, oh, this is like the big, massive decisions that we might make or debate as a society. or Euthanasia. Yeah, euthanasia. Yeah, guns. Oh, yeah. yeah, abortion. The death penalty. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to talk about line bikes and shopping trolleys. Um, and the reason is this, that I think that the ethics of an individual show up in the small things. So let, let me explain. Sometimes you can see me walking down the street in London and there will be line bikes just thrown on the floor. So people have used them, they've hired them, and then they've just like thrown them on the floor when they finished using them. 
And it's like when you go to the supermarket and people have used the trolleys, but they don't take them back to where the trolleys should be kept. They just leave them in the middle of the car park or in the middle of the pavement. And Mm. and the more you think about it, the more you realise that's an ethical decision. Yeah, all those things. Chucking chucking all the stuff you don't want out of your house and just leaving it on the street for people to trip over. Dog poo. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, yeah, the, well, they're all ethical decisions, they are, aren't they? And they and Small decisions are ethical decisions. The way I react or respond or write an email or whatever, yeah. all of that. Yeah, and it's, um, I, I, I often think that it's those things that tell you more about mm. a person's character uh, than anything that anyone can ever put in their mm. in their CV, for mm. example, and, and all the rest of it. And I, I know that I'm not perfect, so I'm not saying that about this, but it's just interesting that it's in those <laughs> things. And then the other day, I had to make a phone call to British Gas. Um, there was a mistake, a, a system error. Uh, so it wasn't my fault. It belonged yeah. to the system, just to be clear. And... I had prepared the best speech about what was wrong with the system and who was to blame and it wasn't my fault and all the rest of it. And I was on hold and it was going on and on and on. The music was really annoying and I was getting more frustrated. Um, And then a voice came on the line and it was this, uh, this man and he just said, good morning, how can I help you? And I thankfully, thank God, I paused just for a moment, caught my breath and just was able to like somehow regroup and go, okay, so I'm speaking to a human being. I don't want to offload all of this anger and frustration and everything else onto him. And I uh, managed to find the words to say, I'm doing okay, but I really need your help. Mm. And that that was because I could have really gone off on one, um, and that was an ethical decision. Yeah, they're all ethical decisions, yeah. and they're hard to make, aren't they? So I, I, I'd say two things. I agree with you on two things. One is um, your caveat. There's always this kind of aching gap between what we'd like to be and what we actually Absolutely. are. Absolutely. You know, our aspiration and or my aspiration, my 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 actual achievement. You know, yeah. this big big thing between those, but. But the thing is, you've got this self-correcting mechanism inside, haven't you? That so when you you know when I I know when I was unkind or I didn't listen or I didn't respond, it, that little thing tugs at you, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is which is a good thing, isn't it? It's frustrating, but the frustration is good because I always think the fact that I'm frustrated with my performance, what I said, what I did, how I reacted or responded, is is good for me because you're self-editing. Yeah. It's that little inner voice, isn't it? The reflective practitioner, isn't yeah. it, in you? But I also think that on on the um, on the whole, in the end, well, the, the the way I always think about it, if you've got a tube of tomato ketchup and you squeeze it, tomato ketchup comes out. If you squeeze it a bit harder, more tomato ketchup, a bigger flow yeah. comes out. If you put it on the floor and jump on it, tomato ketchup sprays absolutely everywhere. The point is the tube can only spray or you can only squeeze out what's in. And the more pressure you apply, the more of what's inside comes out. And then you get, you know, people say 
you know, they snap and they get really angry and, you know, they hit out at somebody. I was on a bus the other day and someone laid into the bus driver with such anger and you realise that it's what's inside them that's coming out. And sometimes we say, you know, I know I was angry, but, you know, I was tired. It was a long day. I'd had a tough time. I'd been on a rough phone call. I I had a bit of a headache. And I understand all that because I understand it about myself. But in the end, what's inside us comes out. It leaks out all over the place, doesn't it? Yeah. In our responses, in our reactions all of the time. So the... So really what you're saying, and I totally agree with you, is there's so, there's something about this internal uh, uh, compass hmm. um, story <laughs> that's being played out. Like, like, like a, it's almost like a magnetic thing that you always find your way back to in all of those moments, isn't it, that you're working out. The, the ethics of how you want to be, how you want to behave, what kind of person is it that you want to be. But you're really clever because you've written loads of books. How many books have you written? I'm not clever enough. No, I'm not clever <laughs> at all. Can't... But I've written a lot, 70, a lot of books. 70, more, I don't know. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> enough. Uh, um, That's and what... there's a, no, a new one coming out really soon. I have got a new book coming out later on this year. It comes out in September and it's called... <laughs> I forgot what it's called now. Manifesto. A manifesto for hope. And, uh, yeah, I know I'm excited about it. And when I said I've written enough books, and that's what my wife, Cornelia, says mm. to me, you've written enough books, and that's what I know. In fact, I promised her it's the last book I'm ever going to write until I'm retired because the truth <laughs> is you have to put so much in it. When you've got enough, you know, if you're a writer, it's fine, mm. but, you know, I do all these other things and try to write in my spare time. It took me about two years to do mm. But it's about um, how we create hope, transformation, opportunity for every child, every young person and every family in the country. Um, and it's 10 principles I've learned about community development over the years. So Available there you go. at all good bookshops. Yeah, but I have written, I think you was going to say, Amazon. Written, yeah, all on that kind of stuff. But I wrote a book about ethics. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's called, it was called Different Eyes. Oh, I that think. was it. I yeah. think it was, yeah. And in there you do this, You just, it's, so, it's such a good book, mm-hmm. um, but you talk about the different kinds of approaches to ethics that there are. So you talk about, I like this word, deontological ethics. Yeah. Like, what is that? What is that? Deontological, yeah. There are only three types of ethics in the whole world. So everybody, this is the incredible thing, everybody's ethical system is based one of three ways and sometimes get muddled up you know a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of the other and deontological ethics it just it's it's a greek word it just means uh, obligation ethics and it so it's really about rules you know the 10 commandments or the two golden commands love yourself love your neighbor as as yourself or um, love yourself and always uh, love others and always tell the truth. Some people say, you know, somebody yeah. said to me the other day, always tell the truth and love other people. And uh, uh, if you live your life by rules, that's called deontological ethics. But there's a big problem with it. That's the Go problem on. with a rules-based approach to yeah. life. Well, we all know, you know, the office handbook, the rules yeah. don't always work. We all know, you know, the policy, the tick box approach to life, it doesn't always work. 
the rules that were made yesterday always don't always work for the situation today. I've got four kids, you know, and I taught each one of them never to cross the road on their own. I told them, <laughs> you know, I told them to always hold hands with someone before they cross the road, never to open the door to somebody they, they don't, don't know. know. Yeah. But the problem is one of them's 41 now. <laughs> and it would be a bit weird. <laughs> and the youngest, yeah, the youngest. Right, Emily? Yeah, that, Emily. And so they go go down in two years, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So the youngest, Josh, is well into his 30s and married and has got two kids who he has to teach don't cross the road without holding hands. Yeah. But the point is those rules apply at one point and then you move beyond them. I always think it's a, a, with a risk of talking too much about it. Oh, and then we should talk about deontological rules and all the rest. It's a bit like map makers. Mm. I always feel sorry for map makers. You know, even now everybody uses GPS or whatever on their phone, you know, kind of uh, whatever it is, Google Maps. Mm. The maps are always kind of wrong, aren't yeah. they? Because they're out of date. As soon as, soon as they're done, they're out of date, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, and, and, and it says drive up this road, but it's now a one-way yeah. system and you can't drive yeah. up it. And they've built a block here and they've cordoned off this and all the rest. So you feel sorry for map makers, yeah. don't you? Digital ones or paper ones, because they're mapping yesterday. Yeah. And yeah. the map keeps changing. So, so that's why rules don't work. And uh, to sum it all up, you know, say you've got these two rules, it's to... Love your friends mm-hmm. and to always tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, what if um, what if you're watching the television one day and you see a news report about a mad axe murderer in your your community and the police are you warning, and this mad axe murderer, you see his picture and you hear that he only murders old age uh, old age pensioners, people who claiming a mm. pension, elderly citizens. And then the doorbell goes and you open the door and you recognise that it's the mad axe murderer. (laughs) And the mad axe murderer very politely says, I hear that the person living next door to you is retired. (laughs) (laughs) Now. Would that be true? Do you tell the truth or do you love your neighbour? Yeah. You see, so rules break down. So that's why deontological ethics, uh, people kind of moved away from them a lot. And then the second type of ethics is called situational ethics, sometimes called uh, 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 utilitarian ethics or um, uh, consequence ethics, consequentialist ethics. And it means doing the greatest good for the greatest number of people for the greatest number of time. It means I'll use my common sense to work out what's the best thing to do in this circumstance. Pragmatism. Pragmatism. Yeah. But the problem with that is that often we don't know. And, you know, the decisions I make at the age I am now are different to the decisions I would have made when I was 30 or 40. So... So if we're just going on our own best understanding, hey, you know, if it feels good, do it. If it sounds good, do it. Uh, often the thing that sounds good, that feels good at any one particular time, with a bit of sense, we go, oh, no, why did I do that or say that or think that or respond to that? Mm-hmm. And so a guy called Aristotle mm-hmm. <laughs> a long time ago, he came up with what we call virtue ethics. Yeah. And what Aristotle said this long time back, you know, as as you know, 
Aristotle saw that deontological ethics didn't work, saw that situational ethics, you know, mm. what feels good, do it, doesn't work. And he said virtue ethics are the only way to do it. And by that he meant a story. The, stor the great story, the meaning-making story of your life that you live in, let that story guide you. That story, that community story, communal story that you live in, that story should guide you because only that story is powerful enough to allow you to make the right decisions at the right time. And I suppose that that story, so if we take the Jesus story. Yeah. What that story does, for example, is it uh, causes those that follow that way of, of Christ mm. to develop a, a particular set of traits or character. Mm. We talked about it on another episode about the fruit of the spirit, mm. the, the traits of love and joy and peace and pain, you know. <clears throat> um, and so your 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 virtues your i think if i'm understanding it right what you're saying steve is you you make your decisions your choices are determined by the character that is formed out of the meaning making story that you base your life yeah. upon is that is that what you're yeah, saying yeah yeah that's right so the reason i say it is cuz jesus didn't say anything for example mm. jesus didn't say anything about how you use the internet or no. do, do you know what I mean? So yeah, it, it has yeah. to yeah, or or um, or all, all sorts you know, of things. Yeah, that's it. Whether you should answer a mobile phone, phone or not, you're yeah. with someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not much to say about a whole lot of things. Did he? You know, he didn't say choose Apple over IBM. You know, kind of like the kind of so so. There's a whole lot of things and much bigger things. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah, Jesus uh, Jesus uh, didn't talk about huge. Uh, issues that confront us today, like the 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 issue of assisted dying, for instance. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, Jesus didn't talk about all those things. AI. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, the list goes on and on, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So uh, stocks and shares, and you know, yeah. kind of, you know, mortgages and all the rest yeah. of it. So, so the thing is that that you yeah, guided by this story. The story, in my case, of Jesus, as you say, who has been, if you like, my mentor from afar yeah. uh, since my my teens. And you're kind of working out, so what do I think would have happened, Jesus would have done in this situation yeah. or, or the ethics that he taught, the stories that he taught mean for how I behave and react and respond in this situation. And I think it's a bit like learning to play jazz music, yes. as I always say. So yeah. when I was a kid, um, my mum sent me to piano lessons every Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock after school. In fact, she came with me to make sure I went. And I, I, used to, I lived in, in South Norwood in South London and I used to carry my music book uh, with all the notes in, mm, you know, mm. up the hill. And at the top of South Norwood Hill, I used to... Was it a little leather satchel? It thing? was, it was. And I only, I only used it on Wednesdays that, that day, day of the week for that, yeah. which was dis disappointing, <laughs> really. And and then I used to go and see my um, piano teacher, and, and Miss Owen, and uh, we'd wait in her hallway and then we'd go into a, a lounge, I suppose it was, and there was a piano, upright piano, and uh, my mum would wait outside and then I'd 
it was an incredible thing I did each week because I would try to convince Miss Owen that I had practised <laughs> since the last time, which, of course, I hadn't, because that's why I only ever opened my little leather satchel... On a Wednesday. On a Wednesday, when Miss Owen thought I opened it every day. And Miss Owen would attempt to, um, to demonstrate to me that she believed me when I said I'd practised every day, which she clearly didn't, because she knew... And we go through this ritual every Wednesday until, this is off the point actually, until one one Wednesday she broke down crying. <laughs> Honestly, she just broke down in tears and rushed out of the room and that was the last time I ever went. And I never spoke to my mum ever about why I never went because I assumed... You broke her. I, I assumed it must be that I broke Miss so Owen down. And it was only years and years later, after worrying about this, that I realised there must have been bigger things going on in Miss Owen's life. Dear God, I hope so, because otherwise that's a really bad story. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that she was having a tough time for whatever reason, and she decided to give up piano lessons a whole like chalk boy anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's not... But the point was... If I'd have really practised yeah. and I'd be able to play. Now, you know, I, I, I was watching um, Elton John playing uh, uh, at Glastonbury, you know, yeah. the other week. And like the ability yeah. to just your fingers dance across the keys, yeah. you know. It's like, it's, there's so many just great piano players in bars and places like that. And you, you, I wish, I wish beyond anything else I could play the piano yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliantly well. You know, it's kind of, oh. Amazing. Yeah. But I can't. Although I can still play in a very lumpy style the three tunes that I did learn. Yeah. One's called The Dance of the Tin Soldiers. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's kind of. <laughs> now, the problem is that The Dance of the Tin Soldiers isn't very appropriate for most things. In fact, <laughs> In all the years I've known how to play it, it's never been appropriate for any gathering, really. <laughs> it's just... But if I could play jazz... Yeah. I could take the principles I learned about keys, which I didn't learn, you know, and, and runs and chords, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and I could apply yeah. and virtue ethics, according to um, Aristotle, hmm. well, he, you know, this is me, he, he didn't have jazz music. Yeah, right yeah. There. It's, what, what Aristotle was saying is play jazz. Yeah. You've got to <laughs> do the work. You've got to practice. Yeah. Um, and and you've got to know what the story is. In fact, um, Aristotle said that the, the, he said that everybody should have a telos. Yes. Which means yeah. the end goal of life, yeah. the aim. You see, for, for, uh, for me, that's to imitate in my broken way the life of Jesus. Yeah. It, yeah. it really is. Yeah. But Aristotle, who lived before Jesus, of course, he yeah. said... Uh, and, and wouldn't have been a Christian anyway, he said, your telos. Yeah. And he said, if you pursue your telos through life, he said, what you achieve is eudaimonia, another mm. Greek word. Okay. And it means the good life. Of course, yeah. The good life. You achieve the good life, the best in life, the yeah. richest life, by, by seeing it all through a lens, pursuing a telos yeah. and learning to play jazz with it within. Yeah, which is... Amazing, and I'm totally with you. So to me, it's like you you find the thing on which your life then pivots. Mm. You find the 
that expression that you've used, we've used it in other conversations, this meaning-making story, uh, a source of purpose, Hmm. intention, something that's outside of yourself. Hmm. So you live on purpose. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, for me, you know, you know my story very well. Unfortunately, you've had to listen to it endless times. But... About three times a month <laughs> yeah, for 26 we, years. we explain it to new staff and volunteers. <laughs> but when I was 14, I, I, was, I was given a telos, you know, yeah. you know, just as I wandered up that street, you know, by Crystal Palace Football Club. And I, I was given this thing. I knew what my life was about. Mm. And it was anchored in the youth, you know, the story of the youth club I went to was, was a, a church. And the yeah. outcomes of that for me, which is about setting up a school and housing and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that telos has guided me. And so you you end up living on purpose. That doesn't yeah. mean you don't wander off the pathway a bit right. and muck up. But you know when you're mucking up. Yeah, you and you feel like I feel it when I'm mucking up. Mm. Like you, it's, and it's not. Um, it doesn't diminish me as a mm. person. It just, mm. I'm like, oh no, that's off. That was off, Jill. You, you know, I can think of something I said yesterday, mm. and immediately I had the, <gasps> mm. that was off. That didn't. Mm. That didn't come out right. Mm. Or if I could take those words back, mm. <laughs> that 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 you know, and so that kind of. Like I say, that pivot point, that story on which everything else is based, um, it's, it's like just this most beautiful guiding principle and person that you, like you say, mentors your life through mm. for you. Mm. And the, the the interesting thing about Aristotle, I mean, because he was the person, yeah. you know, you can, you can go to the, you can go to the greatest library in the world, you can go study ethics at university, mm. um, you can do a PhD in it, and everyone will point you back to Aristotle and, yeah. and virtue ethic. Yeah. And, you know, the, obviously, this has been studied and written about uh, through the centuries since. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing, because of the big thing you do within Oasis is mm. around the nine habits yeah. um, and all the fantastic work that you put out for use in our schools and with our staff and in induction mm. and leadership training and all the rest of it. Well, Aristotle had nine habits. He didn't call them nine habits. He had nine virtues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they weren't ours. No. <laughs> because they arose out of a different story. Yeah, absolutely. And they arose out the story of Zeus and the Greek gods. Now, mm. Zeus was the god of fire and mm. anger, etc., mm. etc. Et so Aristotle came up with nine uh, virtues, character uh, virtues. And um, the incredible thing was that, um, and you can read about them, because much mm. of his writing still exists. And... Our nine habits are a reaction against, or yeah. to, I should say, Aristotle's nine habits, which I'll leave you to explain in a minute. But Aristotle became a teacher for a while. Well, he was a teacher. Uh, he became a teacher of school yeah, children, yeah. if you see what I mean. Academy. Yeah, an aca- yeah exactly, <laughs> where the name comes <laughs> from. And his most famous student was Alexander the Great, before he was the great, he was just yeah. Alexander. I think he was 14 or something. Known for his peacemaking, yeah. right, Steve? <laughs> yeah. He was a megalomaniac. Yeah. And he, and he, you know, they say that he wept 
when he did, when he realised there were no more nations to conquer. Do you know, he, he built this huge empire yeah. and just wiping whole people groups yeah. out. It was driven. I mean, he was dead at the age of 32. Yeah. Um, and then his empire fell apart because he'd never built loyalty and they all warred against each other, his generals, and the whole thing collapsed into the ground. But he guided his life through Aristotle's virtues. virtues. And then, knowing that, in a different age, Paul, the follower of Jesus, who we call the Apostle Paul now, mm. he came up with... Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. Nine yeah. habits. Yeah. And it's in, you know, I often say to people, Aristotle is probably the biggest um, influence on on Paul's writing, the, the New Testament, yeah. that is never mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because everybody took it for granted because yeah. Paul was a Jew, but he was a Greek and he grew up in a university town yeah. and they studied ethics. It was the, the same. It was the oxygen, ethics. wasn't it, yeah. that he was breathing in? So and, everybody and... knew about Aristotle's whole idea yeah. about virtue ethics. And what yeah. Paul's saying is we've got some different habits. Yeah, yeah, which are countercultural, revolutionary and create a very different outcome, don't they, the the, the end game of Paul's nine habits or the fruit of the spirit are just completely, uh, complete different. And it's, it's just fascinating, isn't it? Because you realise the uh, influence that, Arist that Aristotelian thinking still has today hmm. about being mighty and powerful and dominant and how that, you know, I mean, if you think from social media, mm. self-promotion, mm. political leaders, mm. parliamentary ethics committees, mm. the whole thing yeah. is you can just see all of this permeating everything, yeah. can't you? And then there's this this voice that speaks a different mm. way yeah. and, a, and a, yeah. a different set of virtues. Mm. And Aristotle's virtues, they were all about power. Yeah. And and then being magnanimous when yeah. you reach self, the top of the mountain. It was all yeah, about the, self. yeah. The development of yourself, self-actualization. Mm. Yeah. And then you were magnanimous with those who were below you. They're also just about men. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and you see all that played yeah. out all the yeah. time. Yeah. So the the Jesus story for you and also for me becomes a, a, the reference point, the, the, the way of being, mm. our ethical uh, compass point, I guess. Mm. Um, you, win, you win looking like you're losing. All, you can afford that. to take the lower yeah. part. It, it, you you don't need things. all of the trappings. Yeah. You, but what's interesting for me, Steve, is knowing that this Aristotelian thinking, that, that kind of ethics mm. is so powerful still today, and you talked about the, you know, the Jesus piece and we read about that in the Bible. But it's just interesting, isn't it, when you go back right even to the, the, the poem about creation way back in Genesis. The way of love was hidden in that story. You know, that the Genesis poem was mm. in contrast to a, a violent story. It was describing that the way of God is a, a way of love and that everyone matters and the, that everyone is precious and that men and women are equal and violence isn't the way. Mm -hmm. So there's this, this narrative is breaking out through, it, it's hidden, the way of love. Mm -hmm. It just strikes me that the way of love is often hidden from view from people. And 
I just wonder for how we can help one another to keep discovering and choosing to look for the way of love when it comes to ethics. So go back to the line bikes, mm. <laughs> go back to the shopping mm. trolleys, go back to chucking rubbish everywhere, go ch- to all the little things, to the phone calls, to the email responses, to the reactions. Mm. The way of love is often hidden in those in those moments, but that's what we've got to do. Yeah, if that if that's the story you want to live in. Yeah. 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 You know, people can look into this at any level. I forgot what my book's called about it. Different eyes. I'm different sure eyes. it's called I'm different, sure it's different, different eyes, yeah. But um the the big book about this uh, is called After Virtue. And it was oh. written by Alastair McIntyre. Alastair McIntyre, After Virtue. And when I say the big book, I mean, it's like I, I, was, I was looking around the Tate Modern uh, at some Impressionist painting uh, with my wife, Cornelia, a, f- a few months ago, who, who loves art and, you know, all the rest of it. And, and then the, in the discussion about these styles, you know, you listen to these people, who talk, they talked about Alastair McIntyre mm. and they talked about after virtue and when you went down you go you know you always buy things on the way out yeah. you know prints of everything yeah. and they had a stack of Alastair wow. uh, yeah Tyre's book after virtue so you know art chases after this music yeah. chases after this how do you capture a story worth living mm. in how do you paint that story mm. how do you picture that story what does it sound like Mm. Yeah, this is a, a big thing. Jill, you and I spent Saturday, this last Saturday together, yeah. and uh, on a, a very sad but in another way a joyous occasion because of the death of your sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some weeks we had ago. a Thanksgiving, yeah. which was amazing. Thank you for speaking at it, by the way, Steve. Um, mm. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. amazing, wasn't it? And it, my brother-in-law spoke. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you, your brother-in-law, Chris, married to Chrissy, your sister, your older sister, um, and tragically, she died of brain cancer some mm. weeks ago after a long struggle. Mm. So that was both tragic and a release yep. as well. And then, yeah, last Saturday, Chris, your brother-in-law, as you well know, invited me to speak at the celebration mm. of her life. But the extraordinary thing, which is a story I told mm. uh, everybody there, the extraordinary thing is that Chris came to see me. I've known Chris for as long as I've known you type of thing, mm. or almost as long. But um, he came to see me because he'd asked me to um, to speak at Chris's um celebration he came to see me uh, down in london we had a, a meal together just to talk about it and um chris is a farmer highly intelligent farmer who studied geography at mm. oxford and being with him listening to him talking about land uh, one way or the other is an extraordinary thing anyway but he said this really moving thing to me which i repeated back and he spoke something of it the conversation he'd had with me on that for that lunch because he said to me he said I see everything Steve in terms of land and geography I, I picture that in my head all the time and he said and I've lost my wife and for me it feels like I'm stuck I'm stuck in my present circumstances and the terrain I'm in 
is unfamiliar mm. and it's really difficult to navigate. And he said, it's like the fog's rolled in and I'm lost in the fog and I'm lost in the mud and it's, it's uncomfortable and, and it's lonely and I'm all over the place and I don't know where I am. He said, and, and, and he said, the only way through it I've learned over the years because I am a farmer and I've been physically in this situation when the mist comes down. The only way through it is to look at the horizon mm. and you have to steer yourself by the horizon rather than the present circumstances. So you've got to lift your eyes to the horizon. You've got to use your compass, that's what he said, mm. rather than the map of yeah. these particular circumstances. And he said, and that's how I feel at the moment. I've never been here before and it's, it's, mm. it's really scary, but I keep looking at the horizon and then I know which way to go. And um, I repeated that story, the yeah. story he told me, because I just think it's just a fantastic metaphor, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But for us all. And that's really what Aristotle was talking about, and it's really what Paul the Apostle was talking about when he gave, when he gave us the Oasis Nine Habits, yeah, as yeah. we now call him. He yeah. said, say, look at the horizon. And in the circumstances of your day and the difficult decisions you've got to make about your neighbour or your family or somebody's been upset with you or what you should do, try to guide yourself mm. by this great example mm. and this great story. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the horizon. Yeah, I think that's a great place to finish. I was just, just as you're telling that story and I was thinking about Saturday and there's just something for me, Steve, in... In all of life, whenever you find yourself stuck, is just to look up, isn't it? Just to look up. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jill.